Welcome to Next Off, a Victory Briefs podcast. I'm Lawrence, joined by Kristen and Jacob. We are a podcast discussing all things Circuit Lincoln-Douglas debate, and we publish new episodes every other week. We'll be discussing the topic selection process and our thoughts on what makes a good topic and why you should submit a good topic. Before we discuss that, though, we just wanted to remind our listeners that we have a Google form linked in the description where you can submit feedback or suggestions for future topics. Finally, thanks to Victory Briefs for sponsoring this podcast. Victory Briefs is a summer debate institute and publisher of debate materials, which you can learn more about at victorybriefs.com. All right, when we come back, we'll discuss our core thoughts about the topic selection process and what makes a good topic. All right, welcome back. So in this segment, we're going to discuss the topic selection process since we think it'll it's just good for you to know in general, but also it kind of informs the way that you should submit topics, what you should do when you submit topics, and some of the things that you can do to help push good topics through to the end. So my old coach in high school actually has been on the topic selection committee for some period of time now. Uh, I've even kind of loosely assisted her in some of the topic selection process. But despite my uh, proximity to her as a coach, I actually don't know very much about this topic selection process. As far as I understand it, the way that it works is it solicits student submissions throughout the year, close to the end of the second semester, it closes up or right before the nationals or something like that. And the topic submissions are divided into areas, sent out to the topic committee. Those topic committee members then whittle down that list from you know the 70 or so suggestions that they have uh, before national starts. And then they take in a core list of topics that they think are pretty good. Um, they'll go into the committee and, the, and then they'll try to select some from each topic area, uh, reword the topic, uh, and then make suggestions, improvements, and rewordings throughout the entire week of NSDA Nationals. By Thursday of NSDA Nationals, they'll usually have some list that's more or less done and sent out. I don't really know the details behind this, that's, and I'm not even sure if all that was entirely accurate, but that's my understanding of this. It's also my understanding, however, that the topic selection process is actually changing for next year. Um, and I don't know anything about that. So I'm going to throw this over to Chris Tice, who's actually on the topic selection committee and can tell us a little bit more about how this works. Hey, Lawrence, um, what you described is broadly correct. And that part of the selection process is largely going to stay the same. The part that's changing is the voting process, how students and coaches actually select from the list of 10 that the committee puts out, and those topics get slotted into a position in the calendar. So the way it works right now is the committee, after the week of nationals, whittling down a list of 10, puts out that list, and voting for the topics happens over the course of the summer, and that voting determines where the topics go. The way that works is you rank each topic slot. You rank three topics, one, two, three, and uh, we work backwards from nationals to September, October. So the top choice for nationals gets slotted into nationals. Then we go to March, April. The top choice for March, April gets slotted there, unless it was already the top choice for nationals, so on and so forth until uh, September, October. The way that's changing is instead of crafting a list of 10 that the committee puts out, and those 10 are the pool that we choose from for the five topics, we're going to put out five separate lists of three that are slotted into each topic area. So we'll put out three topics for September, October that you'll vote for for September, October, three for November, December, et cetera. Um, a couple of reasons for that happening is first, it allows us to um, better control where certain topics end up on the calendar. So for example, we often found ourselves as a committee in a spot where we think this is a really good topic, but if it was chosen for September, October it would be really bad because novices would need to debate it and maybe it's not a really good recruiting tool. 
or this is a really good topic, but it's not deep enough to sustain debate for four months like JanFeb tends to run. So it gives us more control that way. And second, it can ensure that we don't have topics that, that are good independently, but back to back would be bad, right? So if we had two topics that were somewhat overlapping in subject area that we wouldn't want students to debate September, October, then November, December, we can put them both on the list in the same slot so we don't run that risk, but still put them both out there. And the third thing is it allows us to ensure there's a good mix of topics every year. So we're not getting same types of topics selected every year over the course of the entire season. We can ensure students debate a good mix of types of topics, types of actors, types of subject matter over the course of a season. Well, that seems persuasive to me, I'm convinced. This is a good idea. Interesting. I, I will say, I, I'm not, I don't have strong thoughts about the new process. I will say I did not like the old process that much. And the old process was already a market improvement over the previous process before that, which was just like straight up, what are your favorite topics? And then just like, they take the most favorite and put that as nationals. And that led to some really weird topic selections. In particular, I thought the most like obvious downside to that approach was March, April is just not debated that frequently nationwide. Mm-hmm. It's used by a few states for the state tournaments, but states that don't have state tournaments that late in the year, never used it. So it's just like, here's a good topic, never debate it. Yet in theory, based on the old system, that should be the second most preferred topic of the year. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. I, I, I especially strange because like universal basic income, great topic, debated once, you know, in Oklahoma, right? And like totally useless. Yeah, yeah, like I remember a lot of times where there was a topic on the list that I really liked and it got sucked up by March, April, or Nationals, which are probably the two least debated topics by a large, large margin. Like one is literally one tournament, the other one is not widely used. And so it was always sad to see that the, the two main slots, I think, September, October, and January, February, which I think are like the, the busiest periods for debate, often got much worse topics and things like, like targeted killing. That was a great topic. Yeah. Ended up just being Nationals. How much of that could have been a regular season topic? I remember there being some years, oh, Target Killing is also a March, April topic yes. <laughs> way back in 2012. And so that topic could have been such a beautiful topic and both times it will got on the list, it ends up being um, one of the seldom debated portions of the Yeah, so, so I agree that almost anything would just be an improvement over those prior processes. I guess I have like maybe a few questions um, about the new process and like the advantages, disadvantages to it. So one, in order to solve the problem of like back-to-back topics ensuring like a diversity of topic areas, is, is it like each month or like set of months has a theme to it? So like SEPDOC is like foreign policy, NOVDEV is like criminal justice or something like that? Or how are these topics slotted together? Yeah, so that will probably change from year to year what exactly those buckets are. But we'll use sort of like we kind of, like the committee already sort of does this, right? We get submissions in, we group those by areas. Those areas change each year because we have a different set of submissions, right? And that same type of process will come down in a broadly similar way. Uh, We often get to a point right now in the old system where we have like three or four topics at the end where we say, these are all good topics, but you know, these two can't be on the list, both be on the list. And these three can't both be on, all three be on the list together because of, you know, the scenario where they're back to back. So that would sort of allow us to create natural groupings. What we're not going to do, right, is say every November, December is a legal topic, right? But we might have a legal topic in the mix most years where it falls in the calendar would change based on the types of submissions for those topics we get in a given year and whether they're more appropriate for you know novices, September, October, whether they're more narrow topics, November, December, more expansive topics, Jan, Feb, et cetera. 
So, I mean, how closely is, does, or like, how well does this solve the March-April problem, though? So it's like, you know, what if one of like the great topic areas is, you know, international relations, like awesome topics in there, and then it just gets slid into March-April, and then we lose the opportunity to debate any international relations topic during March-April, whereas that risk arguably might have been less than the previous system. Like, so what solves the, the topic slotting problem? So I think that's always going to be an inevitable result of there being topics that most people don't debate. I think the it's still better than what we have now, because right now the second most preferred in theory topic goes to March, April every year. Right. That obviously I don't think will be the case. Uh, foreign policy will move around where it is at the calendar. And it's also probably the case that we will be selecting topics that are more appropriate for the types of tournaments that are on that topic. So March, mm. April is largely district qualifiers and state tournaments. Students debate it maybe twice, three times max. And so there'll likely be more narrow topics and topics that are more conducive to a more traditional style of debate. Yeah. I mean, I will say like three times for a traditional topic is still a decent amount. I mean, like most traditional circuits are probably, you know, only going to like three tournaments a semester. But yeah, that makes sense for me because like the only people that debate March, April in Oklahoma, for instance, are those going to the district qualifier, which is not a very large number of kids, like what, 60 in total across the whole state. Right. Uh, those who qualify to regionals. Uh, and those who qualify to state, and that list gets progressively short, shorter as the season goes along. Um, I, I, I actually probably, I didn't actually think that this topic selection process would have a huge impact on traditional debate, because like most of them just kind of take the topics as they come out. I, m- most of the time, when I like talk with students in traditional context, they don't care as much about the topic as uh, you know, or at least they aren't as passionately heated about it as the circuit kids are. It just seems like the biggest change for this is like if Janfeb can get a good slate of topics like that will just make debate market markedly better. So we don't get bad JF topics uh, again. Well, I think another benefit in terms of talking about Janfeb or circuit debate in general is allows us to get more on the same page and have discussions about which topics we like. Yeah. When we have a list of 10 and it's kind of unclear where they're going to be slotted. I think we, and it happens, the voting happens over the summer. There's not really a chance to, have a community-wide discussion about which topics are good and bad and why. But when we are voting for September, October, here are the three choices. That's one vote that's happening in a discrete period of time, you know, in August. And then in November, right, we're getting ready for, or December, we're voting on Janfeb, and we can actually have that discussion between three topics and flesh it out. I think that, one, getting to have the discussions is good in and of itself. It allows us to, you know, hash out what the best topic really is after we look past the surface. And second, I think it probably increases the amount of voting that happens. Right now, a lot of circuit folks, they complain about the topics, but they never really vote. Yeah, they just, the they just get voted by Middle America, like right. seven to one or something absurdly yeah. high. Like An absolutely ridiculous stat that is, is true about the topic voting is in LD at least, last time I saw the stats, 40% of total votes, of all votes, came from Kansas and Missouri. One question though is, will these buckets be released before, like during the summer, or like do they just come out only weeks in advance of the top being released, like public forum? Uh, yeah. So it's a related question because I think the answer will, will line up. I was a little unclear when you're describing it. If it's still going to be, we submit a single ballot at the beginning of the year with like the list of the various brackets on it, or you're submitting a number of ballots over the course of the year. Okay, I'll take those questions in order. So. The mechanics of when we release all 15 topics are still slightly up in the air, but my understanding is that the current plan would be to list, release the full list of 15 and release 
the list of three and where they're slotted after nationals right away. So you would know what your ballots are for the whole year uh, right away. Now to answer Jacob's question, the plan is to stagger the voting. So you would vote for September, October um, in August, then you would vote for November, December later in the year, and then vote for Jan, Feb. The reason to do that, we think it will allow increased discussion and focus on the list of topics, increase engagement and voting on those topics, and give us the ability to sort of adjust as we go. So maybe something about September, October changes in the way it went, changes our opinion on what November, December should be. And so it allows a more dynamic uh, process. Yeah, I guess my, my main question is like, what's the effect that it'll have on debate voter turnout? Um, it's pretty low at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, part of yeah. that is just because it's after nationals. I think you know, a lot of people are kind of like, all right, time for the summer, take a break sort of thing. I assume there are a lot of other compounding variables and other reasons why people don't vote. Would it increase voting if it was done more often? Like, wouldn't people just kind of get bored of voting by, you know, like, let, you know, let's say circuit kids, you know, they might be really invested in the JF voting but they might not be particularly, they might not particularly care about November, December, right? Um, or In political contexts, there's support for that claim. I know that for designing national elections, you know, like Senate and president choices and so forth, the less frequent the election is, the higher the turnout is. And so one argument for having longer term limits is just you get a larger portion of the population who end up voting. And so that's a, a general reason to think why it might decrease turnout is because people don't want to vote if it's like a less significant vote than to do it a bunch. I do kind of see the point, though, in a debate context that, like, at the beginning of the year, a lot of kids, like, aren't really in, like, the debate mode. They're coming off summer break. And then they sort of get into debate again over the course of the season and maybe become more invested and are more willing to vote. Um, so I, I see both sides of it, at least. I'm not sure if it'll have turn out. Yeah, I, I, would, I would think about it this way. is I, I believe it probably will increase turnout. And the main reason is, is this. I think, Jacob, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Right now, the voting ends, I think, on, like, August 1st when no one is in school. No teams are practicing. Kids are doing their own thing. They're on vacation. They're at camp. They're just not paying attention to it. Whereas if we stagger the voting and it happens during the year, kids are going to be like voting at practice in debate class, right? So people on the committee who were part of this process talked about how now they can build into their debate class curriculum. Hey, here are the three topics for next month. Let's talk about in class what makes a good topic. Let's do some initial research. Let's do some presentations about why we should pick one topic or another. And then as a class, we can vote, that kind of thing. So it allows better in-class curriculum and coaching curriculum, which I think is really good. And as a result, on a lot of teams, at least, I think it will increase participation. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that it raises turnout. I think probably the closest example we can get is that like PF voting is pretty high, not consistently throughout the year. There are certain topics that Mm -hmm. get a lot more engagement. But I think it's just because the salience of like having to debate that topic in the next couple of weeks, like you start prepping two weeks after the vote comes in sort of thing. My understanding at least on the PF side is, although like coach level participation is largely, you know, close to the same between PF and LD, student participation is much yeah, higher in PF. Which seems right to me, which is weird because their topics only last for a month. So like overall, the effect of each topic, <laughs> you know, on the overall debate season is pretty low, but they seem to care a lot, which is unfortunate. I, <laughs> lack of voter participation by LDRs is very saddening to me. I say that to someone <laughs> who doesn't vote very often. It's not just uh, voter participation. It's also participation in crafting and submitting topics. Yeah, which, yeah. Which, Lawrence, the first thing, the first step in the process that you brought up earlier is the committee is only allowed, and I don't think this is really broadly understood, is only allowed to select topics from the list of submitted topics. Yeah. I actually don't think I knew that for like, 
a few years in high school, despite the fact that my coach was on the committee and like had told us this, and it just didn't hit me that I was like, oh, these topics don't appear out of like a magic wellspring or like the minds of the committee, right? Like the committee is to some degree just a neutral arbiter of the submissions, although they obviously interject their own opinions about those submissions and reword it. Yeah, so uh, based on all this discussion, I think it strongly suggests that anyone listening should consider uh, submitting topics. You know, it would be helpful if we had a, a broader range of topics for the top community to choose from, and hopefully that would lead to a better selection process. So I'd encourage anybody uh, listening to maybe spend some time thinking, you know, you can submit whenever, but like think about what topics you would ideally like to see maybe put a little research into it and submit it. And maybe you might end up being the person who gets to decide uh, or get, get becomes the initial catalyst for one of the topics next year. And actually, if, if you wonder how to do that, Chris, you you, you could explain, right, how a, a kid would go about submitting a topic. Yeah, sure. It's really easy. There's a form on the uh, NSDA website where you put your name, your email address, some suggested wordings, and any sort of commentary you have on why the topic would be good. And that's pretty much it. It gets put in the list and it gets considered. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, yeah, it's really straightforward. You can submit as many topics as you want. Um, typically, it helps your topic get considered if you provide a little bit of commentary on why it would be a good topic. And a, a couple of alternate wordings is usually helpful as well. Yeah, so I, for those then interested in submitting topics, which I think is incredibly important because it doesn't really matter what the voting process on the topics are if the topics themselves kind of suck. And so I, th I think it's really important. So uh, what are some things that like make for a good topic to submit? Like what are things that the like committee is looking for? And, and I guess more broadly, what are things that like us as the debate community are looking for in good topics? So, you know, we can maybe come, I'm sure Jacob and Lawrence, you have some thoughts on this, what actually makes a good topic, but I can provide a little bit of insight into what sort of the committee is looking for in topics. So that might help students craft topic suggestions. So, my first piece of advice is the committee is very concerned with topics being what we would call ripe, which means there's something about them that is relevant to what is currently going on in the world, right? There's some reason to visit this topic now as opposed to in the past or in the future. This can go in a couple of directions though. So first you want something that has recent literature on it. There's some ongoing political or cultural dispute over the topic. But it's not so, I would say, dynamic that the topic may completely change in character by the time it's actually debated. Yeah, I, I remember that being a problem with one of the PF topics about like Russia and Crimea and like literally two days into the tournament, like you just had to flip for like either the pro or con because it's just unwinnable for the other side. Exactly, exactly. So to give an example of each, right? So the death penalty topic we had a number of times in the past, it's submitted every year, but we largely don't consider it because there's no real like ongoing current big political debate over it now. And the literature is largely from the 90s and early 2000s at this point, right? So we just don't look to it. It's too old. No real reason to consider it now. On the other hand, we've had criminal justice topics that we thought were really good, but there's like a Supreme Court case pending that is very integral to the topic. And if that came down right before when we're in the middle of the topic, it could totally change it in a way that is unpredictable and we wanted to stay away from. Right, we're crafting topics in June, maybe debated the, the following June. So we have to be careful on that front. So sort of the timeliness of the topic on both ends is a big consideration. A second piece of advice I would give is while we all might have opinions on what the ideal way a topic should be worded is, 
you should note that certain types of language will likely, you know, bias the committee against your topic. So if you think policy debate has topics figured out and every topic should start with the USFG should substantially, and that's how you submit your topics, you likely are going to be out of luck and it won't be considered, even if the topic area is really great, because simply most people on the committee are not interested in making LD that much like policy, especially when it comes to topics. So ensure that it's worded in such a way that it, you know, based on previous topics is in line with what you know the committee will, will consider. And then third, in your framing of commentary on the topic, again, stay away from saying things that obviously indicate why a topic would be good for a particular style of debate, why it's good for critique debate or good for, you know, running plans. That's going to always put some people on the committee off. Instead, I would focus on why it's a, like, a good substantive area, why there's literature on both sides, it's debatable on both sides, the arguments are interesting on both sides, things like that. In particular, number two seems very important because I remember looking at a list of submissions uh, with my old coach and she would just basically mark through all the ones that started with anything remotely smelling like a policy resolution. And, you know, then I'd like review it and I'd just be like, oh, this is a good topic area, but it didn't matter, it's dead on arrival. And it, it's just like, for, for a bunch of debaters who are supposed to figure out like, oh, by the way, like we know what judge paradigms are, which means we know what prior beliefs are, which means we know theoretically you should try to, you know, make your arguments tailored to someone's background. And they just don't do that for the topic submission process. There's just like so much policy language in these. And it's like, what do you expect half the committee of, you know, older traditional coaches who have like their own preconceived notions of debate? Like, what do you expect them to do with that? And it's not just them, right? So me, I, I would prefer that LD debates on average were more like policy debates than they are in most traditional circuits. But even for me, I sort of am uncomfortable going that far right, USFG should substantially with every topic, simply because most people in debate don't want that, Yeah. yeah. right? There's circuits and teams where that's just going to be immediately off-putting. And as a member of the committee, you have, like, your obligation is to sort of represent everybody who will be debating a topic. You interject your own beliefs about what a good topic is, but ultimately it has to be palatable for the community as a whole. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think independent of just like the representation point, just also like I, there isn't a ton of value in making LD just straight up one-on-one policy. Like there are elements of argumentation that are unique to LD that I think we should try to preserve to some degree. I personally don't like just straight up taking policy resolutions and porting them over word for word into LD, which seems to be what some not insignificant portion of the submissions are. Oh, yeah. And that's, an, that's another point I'll put in there too, is any topic that was a policy topic in high school or college in the last four years, maybe even longer, just won't be considered if you just submit that topic, which a huge proportion of the topic submissions are just LD topics, college policy topics, and high school policy topics in the last four to eight years. And some joke ones in there. I feel like Resolve Cats Are Better Than Dogs makes it in there every year, at least once, which please don't submit this. You're wasting people's time. So related to the discussion of like LD versus policy topics, I think one thing worth discussing is the sort of non-policy resolutions, like ones that don't necessarily focus on, like, the government should do X. And one beef I always have with a lot of these is, I, I think it, it's very viable to have productive debates over a thing that's, like, not a policy. But I feel like what usually happens is the way it ends up coming out is the topic ends up, like, to create a philosophical topic. They just take a thing that sounds interesting and word it really vaguely. 
And it, it turns out to be that like, oh, well, you, you just like remove all possible context and you think that leads to more productive philosophical debates when in reality it just leads to bad definitional debates and people talking past each other. And so I think there's this sort of problem if, if you want to write a good topic, even if you want to get to sort of like the, the core of like what you consider to like be the good values debate in LD, the topics I think are intended to do that end up sort of failing. And the topics I've liked the least tend to be the ones that seem to be aiming at that. Like I remember the November, December topic from a few years back about um, candidate privacy, where it was like no real context that would make it possible to debate candidate privacy, or a decent portion of the topics that get chosen for nationals, where it's just like two values, but so devoid of context, it's hard to compare. Um, I think don't actually make for productive debates in the things that, um, that they're trying to achieve. I think you could write a good topic that focuses on some area other than like government doing a policy. But I, I still feel like precise language is valuable. My concern is perhaps the people who are voting for those topics are scared away more by the language than the area. Okay, so those were like all, I think, good pieces of advice on like how not to write a bad topic, um, <laughs> of, of which we've had many, both on the slate and also some to debate. So in terms of submitting a topic, what would make a good topic and something that the topic committee would choose? Because I think that like those are both important constraints. Like that we think is a good topic does not imply that it's going to make it through the decision process of selecting those topics. And so how do we balance like what is a good topic with those constraints of what the topic committee is looking for? Well, I think one thing that should be obvious, but I think isn't always, especially to the students, is that the, the topic actually has to be debatable for both sides. I think some kids just like find an issue that they feel strongly about one side for and like I want to debate this and then sort of like forget oh wait I have to negate this too and so you want a controversial topic right like I I still don't understand how, how the, the one year we got ban all nuclear power through the topic process so I was like all right this is the vote neg topic <laughs> just absurd like it was like globally too like was, that topic was just like absurdly restrictive I don't understand like it wasn't really two sides to the issue uh, I thought it made for a very poor topic and uh, I would not suggest too many topics unless you think that you could plausibly see defending the truth of that claim on either side of the resolution, yeah. which, again, I think should be pretty axiomatic, but apparently it's not. Yeah, the same applies even for the ones that encourage more philosophical debate, where they take it to be that as long as the neg has the libertarianism NC that constitutes sufficient negative ground, which just does not track in my mind. So like, for example, 2016 nationals was immigration ought to be recognized as a human right. Like no, very few philosophers denied a right to immigration, like just some hardcore libertarians r running around in there. But that that was hard to be neg on. There's a more recent one, which is like the United States ought to guarantee the right to housing. Like there was like one random philosopher in Canada that thought that this wasn't the case. But like that, that was about it. Like you weren't going to find anyone else that disagreed. So like, it doesn't matter what it is, policy, uh, philosophical or otherwise, like please be sure that there's more than just like one really bad neg argument that constitutes neg ground. Yeah, I think one of the problems with those is I imagine the people submitting topics like housing is good or food security is good, topics we've had, is they word it abstractly as if they're intending to promote a, a big values debate, but then they just assert a thing that in the abstract is non-controversially valuable. And so then you have this problem with the negative naturally has a tendency to want to talk about like empirics and stuff and then you've provided a topic that doesn't really have enough context to you know, productively have common ground on like, what exactly it looks like housing or food security in the abstract. There's a particular policy that might disagree on what the context is. And if they don't provide context, well, debating is food good or bad or is having good or bad is not going to be either productive or fair. Yeah, I think the mistake that uh, kids make or when they're submitting this is that they substitute 
lack of political will to do something with real controversy over that subject area. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, sure, it is the case that we don't have a right to housing now, but it's not because there's a good neg argument against it. It's just like for some irrelevant political reason that like st- stalls people in getting there. Or it's not, the reason isn't a disagreement over sort of first principles, but yeah. the application of it to any particular, you know, implementation. Right. Yeah, I agree with that pretty strongly, right? Like the disagreement is probably largely like, what do we do about housing? And then the topic doesn't provide context to make that product, that disagreement um, salient. One other thing I think is important for a good topic is that there is, it's good size, you know, of, of arguments on both sides. So there are some topics where there are only one or two AFs that make a ton of sense and the rest is sort of grasping for straws. And there are topics where, you know, if you're doing a policy style debate, there can be hundreds of topical AFs. And that makes topics unwieldy as well. So I think a topic where there can be diversity of positions, but not so many that it's impossible to prepare for is uh, is a good thing to be aiming for. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think like topic caps are good. I think a lot of the people submitting policy style resolutions, you know, apart from just making the mistake of copying and pasting them over is that they assume that every topic submission would be Jan Feb, where you get five months to research and debate it. And that's just like not a plausible view of mm-hmm. how topic selection works, at least not with the old process. I'm not sure how it'll affect the new one. But take November, December, for instance, that has, you know, what, three major circuit tournaments on it, mostly just Glenbrook's and Apple Valley. Uh, after that, most people, I mean, a lot of people don't even debate, debate November, December. And then they like were topics that if selected for November, December, which like make the negative have to prep 24 hours a day in order to keep up with it. Like imagine if, military aid as it was debated was November, December, like, like, there's no way they could keep up. And so I think, in general, there should be a much stronger airing towards capping the topic, just given that we don't know that it's going to be Jan Feb. Yeah, I don't think people like to, to crap on small topics. But I don't mind like for most debaters go into like you said, like two big tournaments, maybe in November, December, not everyone is going to go to both of those tournaments. It's okay if there's not a million different arguments. It's okay if you debate the same thing two or three times and refine your position over the course of the topic rather than debating a different position every single round. I would definitely err on the smaller side rather than the larger side for a good topic. Right, and I think even independent of like your views on small topics, big topics, good you know, for circuit debate, I, I just think in general when you're submitting a topic, you have to keep in mind that people are not debating, and not everyone is debating the topic like you. And if you want your topic to have any reasonable chance of getting selected, that just has to be something you keep in mind. You, you have to remember, in general, even under this new system, I think, for circuit folks, you're outnumbered, right? So if your topic doesn't have a wider constituency than just people who are going to the TOC, it just will never be selected, even if it makes it on the list. Yeah, and like I think like a good proxy for kind of determining this is like not only looking at past topics and what traditional debaters thought of that, but just like you know, if you ever debate in your local circuit, which I do encourage you to do, uh, although that might be a separate uh, discussion, it, it is sometimes the case that the opinions of what constitutes a good topic line up between traditional circuits and, and circuit circuits, but it's also the, often the case that they deviate. And I think I'm worrying about the disconnect between circuit and traditional uh, circuits where the national circuit people are like unaware of the reasons for why traditional kids dislike a topic and as a result will not vote for it. So it doesn't matter how good you think your topic is. If you can't understand why that topic is not appealing to the broad population of debaters, then I, you're fighting an uphill battle, one that you'll probably never win. And I'll say, that I don't think this is a bug either. Like a majority of all the debates that are going to happen on a given topic are going to happen locally. And so it is the case that topics ought to right. cater to those areas uh, to a large degree, not just that they do. You know, I think this, this divergence is more artificial than a lot of students think. 
I think there are very strong opinions on both sides about what makes a good topic, and those are very divergent. But I think, in fact, a good topic should be a good topic for both most of the time. In particular, I like nukes. It, it had good local debates. Um, you imported moral philosophy in there and you know, had turns debates, forced the kids to read some literature that was pretty understandable, accessible. Mm-hmm. Had some good debates on the national circuit. It was one of my favorite topics so far. You know, and I think minus a few detractors in local circuits who I think kind of just like saw some of the plans that were being read and were just like, oh, that proves the topic is bad or something like that. You know, apart from those detractors, I think overall is pretty, pretty well liked. Those are the sorts of topics that I enjoy um, because it means... You know, it's not like it, it, it's where like it, it's it's in those cases where you get a topic and you feel like you're functionally coaching two different topics when you're coaching traditional debate and circuit debate. Those are the topics I, I think I like the least um, topics that because it has a good literature base, because it is good disagreement, because it's not obviously one sided. It's not super like super narrow or super broad. Like those are the topics that when it shows those characteristics are enjoyed by everyone who just likes debating. Those are the topics that I like. So maybe let's get more concrete. What, what were some of your favorite topics? So in particular, I liked the compulsory voting topic from 2013, 14. I think that was my senior year in high school. I'll admit back then I was still pretty bad at debate and I knew almost nothing about circuit. I had to like self-teach myself a lot of this stuff. So at this point in time, I didn't really know what was going on. But I know that when I went to a bid tournament, circuit debaters seemed to like it, right? And there's core arguments on, on, on the topic, but also like lay debaters really liked it too. Cause it's just like, you talked about democracy and like the value of voting in democracy. Like that's very consistent with a lot of the broad ideals that lay kids wanted. Circuit kids liked the topic too. I mean, it probably wasn't their favorite. I'm not sure if they would have liked it for Jan Feb, but for September, October, it was great. Fostered a great clash. There's lots of literature on both sides. You could read philosophy. You could even read more policy style impacts. Although I do prefer topics that deflate the importance of existential risk because I think that's like over-debated. And compulsory voting, I think in my mind, checked a lot of the boxes that I'm, I'm considering, right? It would appeal to broad swaths of the population. It was relatively small, had good literature base. Could have been better if it had an actual agent uh, doing something, but you know, small, minor complaint. Yeah, so for me, I think there's also a big divergence in how you ask the question. It's whether you're asking what topic was the best topic as it actually played out versus what topic I think is sort of in theory the best topic. Because compulsory voting, I'm, I'm going to say, is like a top half, top third topic as it actually played out. Uh, I will agree that in theory, I think it made a beautiful topic. Uh, I, would, I would rank it easily in my top five of like theoretically well-designed topics. And I think one of the problems it sort of suffered from wasn't a problem with the topic, it was a problem with you know, students' approaches to debating topics, which is, it had great literature, but it was just kind of different than the way you debate a lot of topics, right? It's sort of, how do you structure the procedure for voting, which has good philosophical questions, good political questions, good studies on it, but they're sort of different in nature than a lot of it, right? Trying to achieve a particular outcome. And so you had problems where students would sort of try to do the thing that they're used to doing, or like, this is the type of debater I am, I'm gonna approach the topic from that light rather than asking what the best arguments on the topic were. And so you had things like people saying, well, look, if we do compulsory voting, it leads to like the Dems winning the election, insert big impact, stuff like that, which in the context of a voting topic, is you're basically just like defending, you know, rigging elections is good, right? The sort of logic of do this policy, change the voting policy explicitly to get this particular candidate to win. It was a very silly approach to the topic. And so I think, a lot of my topics that I would say were the best designed topics ended up playing out a lot less well than they could because students insisted on doing the thing that they would have preferred the topic be rather than actually sort of a good faith investment in the literature. And then they would discover that there's actually a, a very robust debate that could have been had. So my example of this, because I think compulsory voting is also a good one, is the topics on adolescence, I think. In 2011, there was a topic that I thought was going to be terrible. I remember it came out when I was debating. I was a junior in high school. 
uh, it was, uh, oh, I'm probably going to get the wording wrong, but it was, you know, in the United States, uh, juveniles charged with violent felonies ought to be treated as adults in the criminal justice system. Uh, so, like, juveniles, adults, treat them the same if they commit um, severe crimes. And I'm like, that, that's dumb. That's tiny. Who cares about that? I don't even remember exactly why I thought that, but I was like, there's no way there's literature on this. Uh, kid Jacob was very unhappy with the topic when he saw it. And then as it turned out, that ended up being one of my favorite topics. I think it was one of the, the best topics as it played out of all time. Uh, there was a lot of literature philosophically about, and like interesting, like you know, stuff that not, not just rehashed, you know, like neuroscience of adolescent brain development, how that impacts things like moral responsibility. There was a lot of empirical debate. Some of the best stats debates I ever saw were on that topic, you know, comparing meta-analyses. There were meta-meta-analyses and you got into like different control variables. And I remember like that, that topic had stats debates like no other. And there was like a fair bit of other stuff too, like how, you know, the death penalty for juveniles interact with international law. Great, well-rounded topic. And then the... The same debate um, sort of played out a few years later when there was a topic about adolescent health care, which was, I think, adolescents ought to have the right to make autonomous medical choices is the exact wording. And similarly, I at least had already debated the juvenile stuff. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I know that there's good literature on this sort of thing. And it was true in this context. There's tons of literature on, you know, again, brain development. And in fact, there's distinct literature between adolescent brain development as it relates to health and as it relates to crime. There's a lot of studies on like effectiveness of health treatments and whether or not adolescents considering like, adolescent autonomy is important for that. Again, good topic, great mix of, you know, specific philosophical literature, specific studies and mm -hmm. so forth. And that topic, I think, played out a lot worse, partly because unlike the juveniles topic, which is just like a policy with have like crime impacts, the impacts are more like, individuals in like a doctor's room discussing things and the impacts are like health and it's not a policy and stuff like that. And so debaters, rather than sort of taking a good faith attempts to research literature and discussing and discovering like, oh, this is a really good topic with good argument for both sides. They just like turn it into like other random stuff that was like way less debatable. Like it, the apps would be like, female genital mutilation is bad or, you know, trans people should have access to like medicine. And like just like stuff that's like grotesquely undebatable, and then I just like, well, what do I say? And you have like bad definitional debates, and that that topic was it was just such a prime candidate for good debates, and then they never happened, and it was so tragic to me. Uh, and so for me, I think there's often a pretty big gulf between topics that could be good and topics that turn out good because debaters are unwilling to actually look at the topic and decide whether it turns out to be good as opposed to whether you know fits what they already wanted to do. Well, so do you think there are any common factors that make a topic more or less likely to be debated well, given what it is? So like some topics are good topics and they're debated well. Some topics are good topics and they're not. Some topics are bad topics, but somehow end up okay. Like what, what's, what's explaining that? Legal topics, I think, is a good example of one where there's a large divergence. Like I, I almost always end up cutting a decent number of cards on the topic, you know, like for the victory bridge packet. And so I... I frequently sort of discover whether a topic is good or bad after the topic comes out. You know, sometimes you can have a pretty strong opinion, you can kind of tell, and sometimes you might find that you're wrong. And I think a lot of it sort of requires uh, a, a deep investment in the literature to see, are there good arguments on both sides? Are they interesting? Do they sustain debate? And I think legal topics in particular have this sort of problem of the best arguments are deep in law journals, kind of require A, a lot of reading, and B, the sort of ability to read very technically. And so like some of the better arguments about things like jury nullification, I remember mm -hmm. being a very interesting legal topic, or um, the qualified immunity for police officers. Some of the best arguments I felt didn't really get developed. And I think a lot of that is because 
if you're the type of person who reads like the first news article and then decides what the topic is and goes out and cuts the thing that you already thought was the best argument, you miss a lot of the good literature and you miss what might make that topic good and what makes it actually relevant uh, in a political controversy. And so I find that legal topics often underperform between like my reading of literature and how quality the debates are in the real world and then how quality the debates are in So does that mean that topics where sort of student and coach intuitions align with what the actual arguments are turn out better? It's more obvious topics? Uh, it, it probably is good for topics, I guess, to be clear enough at face value. Um, I guess I'd say that. Which is a shame because I, I would like it if... I, I would rather it be the change is people see topics and they research it and they evaluate after the fact whether it is good or bad. There's a lot of topics out there that would make great topics if you actually delved the literature. Um, but as an empirical matter, I find the topics that people, I guess, aren't already aware of, they just don't bother to become aware of it and they turn out to under. Yeah, one of the upsides to the policy topic selection process is like you have to write long papers about this. And if you're voting on this, you you usually will read all of the papers. And so even if you have like a really loose prior opinion of them, that might be shifted by reading long research papers about this. And that'd be an unreasonable expectation for LD, given the short nature of the topics and 15 of them for this year, to have such long and in-research topic papers. Perhaps a compromise could be made and shorter ones are produced, but... Um, I mean, but this is this is potentially an advantage of the ability to have conversations before we vote, yeah. right? A list of three where we have a month to discuss as a community. Like, I'm sure we'll talk about them on this podcast, which ones we like and why. I'm sure we'll publish, you know, victory briefs, we'll publish, publish articles with different opinions about which topics are good and why. And it gives us a chance to actually do that before we vote. Okay, I think you've convinced me. Segmenting the voting is probably good. Yeah, I... When you, when you said that you would like explain to us and like we give our thoughts, I, I thought it would be a much more controversial process and I was going to actually have like real visceral reactions to it. But I feel like other than asking a few clarification questions about it, I'm pretty convinced that it's at least a very obvious improvement over the current system. Um, Chris, did you have a favorite topic of recent or of yonder years past? Well, I mean, the best topic that was never actually debated, I still to this day believe is carbon pricing. Uh, that was, it's a travesty that that's been included three times on the slate and never been picked. I got to debate that in in policy debate. It was a beautiful topic. It, it probably suffered from the problem of people not, you know, intuitively understanding what those words and the topic meant, and so not voting for it. Um, but of the, of the topics that were actually picked, some that stand out. I really generally like the uh, econ topics if they're worded well. The UBI topic, the living wage topic. There was a universal healthcare topic um, in around 2011, 2012. That I thought was very good and ended up being debated well. The tragedy there was it was November, December, so it was a little too big, I think, for the slot it ended up in, but was generally a good topic. I agree with that. I, I mean, people like knocked universal healthcare at the time. They're just like, this is boring. And I was like, this sustained an entire year of college policy debates. Like, even if you agree that innovation by the NDT was slow, I mean, it's not like people weren't having massive case prep lists to keep up with through the end of the first semester. So like if the college policy people you know, think that there's enough there. I feel like it should suffice for a two-month topic in LD. Right, exactly. And yeah, it might be a little shallow, I guess. I don't see necessarily why that's true for- I can't imagine it being shallow. It's not like anyone, there's no healthcare expert that thinks that universal healthcare is a shallow topic. At the same time, at the same time, there are not a hundred plans. Like there, there might be hundreds of like minor changes that you could make, like small deviations, but there are really like a handful of real substantive divergent models for achieving universal healthcare that you have to choose from. I, I actually do think those make for the best plans. Like I remember my favorite, I think, college policy topic 
was the year, and I was just referencing it, where the topic was basically just like substantially restrict emissions. And so every app had to do more or mm -hmm. less the same thing, which is you got to make a, a big restriction on overall GHG emissions in the United States. And then every negative has a core body of literature, which is there's a single thing that every app is definitely going to do. And then the divergence in choice of specifics is just over the mechanism. Whereas I think you have this problem where uh, some topics will just have like five different more or less unrelated areas. And then that makes for a lot less, I think, high quality topic because you're just debating like five topics at once. And I think some LD topics sort of turn to that where debaters are just like, I'll just pick like a random subset of the topic. And then you have just like a disconnect where you have to research a bunch of different bodies of literature. I'd rather research core body literature and decide what you think the best version of an argument is, right? Like I have to defend the singular position of restrict GHG emissions and I have some leeway into how I do that best. I think that's the best example of a topic that allows maybe flexibility and choice of mechanism rather than just like picking some random area and then the mechanism bait often ends up falling by the wayside despite that being alleged the sort of benefit of specification. I think one kind of disconnect between people who espouse the value of policy style resolutions and you know the actual policy resolutions that exist is that the thing that unifies almost all of the good policy resolutions is that there is always a core DA that applies regardless of the topic, uh, or regardless of the plan, uh, and that core DA is not politics because that doesn't really count as a core argument or a DA. <laughs> and for some reason, that seems to be the only backstop that unifies negative prep against so many of these apps that proliferate in worlds in which you try to submit policy resolutions that are so broad in scope that there just isn't, you don't even get any of the same depth benefits that is supposedly associated with policy style resolutions. And you also don't, and you also make the limited prep for the neg worse because you just don't have that sort of natural backstop. Um, and so I think one thing to incorporate into a good topic is like, there should always be a core negative argument that the neg can fall back on regardless of what the app does. And that I think is missing from a lot of these submissions. Right, I think that's a good distinction between a topic, a Janfip topic that was very good, which is the nukes topic where neg had deterrence almost regardless of what the app was. There was a core negative argument. The specifics of how it apply, you know, changed slightly, but most negs could get access to deterrence. And something like a few years ago, the resource extraction mm. topic, where it was resource extraction versus environmental protection. And so you had like hundreds of different types of, you know, negative externalities from different types of resources with different mechanisms to restrict them. And there was nothing sort of holding that together, except that they were resources and they harmed the environment when you extract them. I think that's a good example too, because I think for some of these topics, I wanted to, to blame the debaters to a large degree. Like I said, adolescent healthcare, there was good debate on the topic as worded. You could have a productive debate without getting into like some random specific issue where you just like cherry pick the best one. Resource extraction, it was terrible because there was like literally millions of plans. Like it's like any developing country of which there were like 141 and like any resource issue. But at the same time, there also wasn't like a whole lot of meaningful debate if you just debated it at face value, because you can't really compare just the concept of environmental protection versus the concept of resource extraction. That is largely an empirical question, and the topic didn't provide empirical context. And so I think that topic, I, I would say, it was generally just a poor, a poor choice of topic, because you could not debate it particularly well at face value. People had an incentive to race to the margins, and then there's no real backstop for them doing that further. And so yeah, that one I think is just sort of flawed in design and principle. I will plug, I, I actually like the app that we put together. I thought it was the best version of trying to make that topic work, which is defending the, the precautionary principle. principle. Yeah, which is a broad holistic thing that nonetheless had a lot of specific policy literature about it that I thought sort of represented the topic as a whole. And that was, that was our best attempt to make the topic right, work. And, and 
And, but this is a good example of why yeah. those kind of topics don't work yeah. because that top that position, which seems like the most core position, is also on that topic probably the least strategic. Yeah, was, right. Like at TOC, the most successful things were like everyone would break a new plan mm -hmm. every Elam at TOC, and it would work because it was so different. Right. So like we had a plan about restricting like the use of mercury in gold mining in South America. I remember that. And like you, it was just like unequivocally good. It was unequivocal. It was like topical if you could read plans, and there was just nothing to say. And that was most asked of the TOC. There just really wasn't much for the negative to say because they have to be small enough and like nearly a truism. Uh, it was. Know, we had the the small scale artisanal gold mining pick ready to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like there shouldn't be an expectation that people go out and find the the artisanal gold mining pick or the the millions oh, of plan that got broken. No, no, no. Our plan was specific to artisanal small scale. Oh, gold okay. Mining. Maybe this is different. That's how small mm. it was. Yeah, point being, yeah, point proven, yeah. Um, <laughs> um. So I guess the next then area to transition to is like, instead of just like structural features, what are actual content areas that you think have been kind of lacking in, well, like mm. where the debate topics, like we need to have more of those type of debates or old content areas that we can draw from to like, you know, give suggestions for people who are looking to submit topics. In, in, in general, like I'm, I'm particular towards uh, topics about military presence uh, and size of the American military, its posture and its relations with other countries and stuff like that. It's been kind of hashed to death a lot in public forum most recently. It was the college policy topic uh, just a few years ago. And that's probably where I developed my affinity for like in those types of arguments when I debated that. Yeah. So for the rest of you all, like what are some topic area suggestions that you think could be explored? So we tend to dip into this a lot, but I think usually produces good debates. I've alluded to before, sort of the question of the extent of the American welfare state, American economic policy tends to produce good debates. It's sort of the core of most political discussion we have. Uh, there are core philosophical arguments sort of on both sides and like very distinct philosophical traditions that link to them while like having very specific manifestations that we can discuss separately. So living wage was a good topic. UVI was a good topic. Healthcare was a good topic. I think if employer of last resort on the current list had been chosen, I think it would have been a very good debate. A topic that was almost on the list last year that I think could be a pretty good topic was a uh, universal childcare topic that was submitted. Things along those lines, I think, tend to produce good debates. I think another good core area to go to that, I mean, there's not a dearth of these, so it's not like this is underrepresented needs to be brought back to the fore, but criminal justice topics, I think, especially criminal justice procedure, right? You have that trade-off between process and product, how much do we value rights versus you know the ability to reduce crime stuff like that i think the core controversies you get a lot of literature like i said uh, my favorite version i think was the the adolescent like juvenile justice system but uh, a lot of those i think turn out well yeah colin et al what a, what a throwback oh yeah uh, that's like the main f study that everyone referenced so many studies and so everyone so was so good at debating that right like every, every like every f had the prodites every neg had the indites like it went deep like it was good yeah, I, I remember having to research, you know, two and three levels deep of studies, indicts to studies, and it's like, do you prefer meta-analysis? There are people who indicted the concept of meta-analysis. You explain different variables and stuff. Yeah, the only thing I think about the topic is there was a little ambiguity in the wording is whether charge means you're just talking about the trial process or also the conviction process. And I think the best topics are as unambiguous as possible, not to version the topic. That topic was pretty clear. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I would go back. So I feel like I tipped my hand early on this, but I like voting topics. Hasn't, hasn't been a real voting topic in a while. Uh, there's like lots of discussion there, philosophically speaking. Like it's very central to the concept of democracy. And I, I, I have to say that the current NSCA Nationals topic is not really promoting the discussion of democracy that I would like it to promote. I think just a voting topic in general uh, would be much more interesting. I'm not sure if I'm going to get much agreement on this, mostly because one of the reasons I like this topic is 
precisely because it deflates the importance of existential risk impacts, um, which seems to be like, you know, what people want to discuss. A topic I liked and think could be brought back, another one I think we improved probably slightly with wording, was I remember my senior year there was an animal rights topic in high school. And I remember that having a lot of interest. Is, I'm saying this, and the more I think about it, in the last 10 years, the trend has become, I think, away from taking the topic at face value and towards contorting to what you want. And this topic is one that I worry might actually get that treatment. At the time, I remember, I remember that it provoked, uh, provoked good debates on philosophical questions that weren't already considered, right? You know, what makes someone have moral status? Does that apply to animals, just to persons? There was also good empirical debates. There were studies you know, on animal intelligence, uh, sentience, sapience, et cetera. And you had a nice combination of empirical and philosophical considerations and a big body of literature. And I think that topic was very productive. I think that's one of the ones where I learned the most. I worry again that if that topic, which was from the area of juvenile justice, um, got brought back, it might end up turning into the uh, adolescent healthcare topic where debaters just like plan no dog fighting or something like that. Um, I don't know how to stop them from doing that, but if they wouldn't, that'd be a really good topic. I would, I would, I like, I would like to see a rehash of that debate because I enjoyed those debates a lot. In a broad philosophical sense, comma. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it doesn't, it's already written that way. It doesn't work. <laughs> In terms of regions that are yeah. perhaps criminally under discussed, Latin America, South America doesn't really make a showing in any debate event, really. Uh, I, it showed up a little bit with Venezuela and PF. There's certainly some stuff to be discussed there. The Arctic is a big impact scenario place. Like, everyone talks about the Arctic, but there's no topic about it. The, like, Eastern European area, like, seems to be the center of tension for a lot of, you know, European-Russian conflict that could be discussed. There's also, like, a lot of questions about emerging democracies there, former Soviet states. I'm not sure how much of that is time sensitive or relevant. And then of course, Africa. I, I mean, it's been a few years since the last Africa topic. And I feel like that's probably worth discussing, you know, given it's pretty big rise up in the future. Um, although PF kind of discussed it a little bit with the Belt and Road Initiative topic, but certainly not an LB. We don't, but we don't, like, what does PF topics have to do yeah. with what an LB I mean, You are not listening nothing. most I, of the world here also. <laughs> like, I think, yes, I think the answer um, is yeah. LB topics tend to either be broad or they tend to be the United States. And I understand why that's the case, but I would very much be fine with delving into some other issue besides U.S. specific issues. So like there's been there's been a movement in that direction, right? There's I think on the committee there's been an active move to try to get topics from other places in the world on the list. So the Japan Article Two topic. Borderline. There's a topic about democratic backsliding in Europe, I believe, a couple of lists ago. I thought that Japan topic was a beautiful topic. For those who don't know, the topic was uh, whether Japan should amend Article 9 of its constitution, which would allow it to have offensive military capabilities. At the moment, it doesn't. Article 9. Yes. Article yes. 9. Is it Article 2? And uh, that topic, it's phenomenally specific. I mean, I was talking about precision earlier. A lot of uh, topics struggle from being vague. That topic is worded in a quite precise way. You know exactly what it means. There's no ambiguity, which is all the bad definition debates go away. Uh, there's robust literature, and don't worry, it's not all in Japanese. There's a lot of English literature. Uh, it's got good empirical debates. You know, there's alliance questions, there's deterrence questions. It's got good philosophical debates about you know military policy as well as constitutional policy, uh, and it delves into an area that people haven't already thought about. You know, there's like other countries. You know, a lot of other countries debate U.S. policy. You see, like the the topics they use in places like China, and they'll debate, be debating the U.S. It's not un unworkable to learn about other countries' political systems. I don't like it if the 
the U.S. circuit did that, at least some of the time. Like most topics don't need to be about Japan or other countries. But I'd like to see that, you know, thrown into the mix. That topic would have been. Yeah, I would like I would like a bucket where all of the actors are non-U.S. I would like a bucket where all of the actors are actually Asian, just given <laughs> Asia is rising mm. so hard uh, in, in the present. And I feel like I'm a little bit biased given that I spent the last year residing in China. But it, it, there's this general perception amongst Chinese people, which used to be good, which is that most Westerners don't know a lot about China, right? And they liked that. That was their 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 idea was just like kind of be steal the manufacturing base from the U.S., become like world power. Now they're growing, and it, it is worrying the degree to which students are just not aware of China's role in right. geopolitics and specifically the inner workings of the Chinese government, its policies, uh, you know, the ways that authoritarianism can be sometimes good, but obviously also sometimes bad. You know, the challenges that China poses for philosophical foundations, like whether or not democracy is an unalloyed good, the challenges that it poses towards like free speech rights and like whether or not censorship is good or bad. Because I mean, you might think it's a settled question, but truly and honestly, like a lot of these, the rise of these like authoritarian states in, in Asia, like do pose foundational challenges to a lot of the sort of liberal values that we hold dear as kind of like self-evident and true. Um, and I think those are all- That seems like a topic to me. I'd be down for a China topic. Yeah, like put China yeah. as the actor, like what should China do? That's an important question. Cause like the last China related topic was the PFBRI mm. one. That was about whether or not the EU should join. But like, come on, if, if we care about educating our students about the world, like certainly we cannot ignore the world's like largest economy, the world's largest rising player and then the most populous country in the world. Like it is, almost embarrassing the degree to which people are not literate about this. Yeah, I'd be down for a China yeah. topic, whether China's the actor or if it's a question of like how, like what U.S.-China relations should look like in the future in some way. That seems like a, a ripe area. I mean, in particular, so I mentioned earlier, like broader questions about like the value of democracy that it poses, um, broader questions about the authoritarianism, free speech, et cetera. But there's also like a bunch of Chinese economic policies that are you know really important to consider, Chinese environmental policies, Chinese border disputes, Chinese sovereignty issues. Like how does China pose a challenge for the broader liberal order? Is it good that it poses that challenge? Like how does it interact with other, other states? And of course, there's also the more critical questions of like, you know, neocolonialism that it has, the, you know, what to do about the Uyghurs, although that's kind of like a not particularly controversial issue but all the other stuff tons sounds of stuff. like you should write a topic yeah. Lawrence. i feel like I should, I feel like i should, you should write yeah. a topic. Yeah. It, i feel like it's a it, it's a, i'm a little biased on this but i, I think it is important because I, I just remember even like i feel like i know a little bit more about china than the average person going into china but i feel like just being there for a year like really changed my view on what china is because the the view that people have you know especially in like mid-america of china just not at all aligned with reality as far as areas go, I think I already mentioned, specifically I mentioned animal rights. But one thing I remember that year, that year had an overdose of non-government topics. And in fact, during the regular season, September through uh, February, there was not a single topic that referenced the government. And that was, you know, a problem. Somewhere. Like people like did not discuss any political issues for like basically the entire year. Um, that being said, I think since then, perhaps it's an overcorrection, uh, LDS had very few, I think, non-government topics. You know, there was a topic about that, there's sort of like individuals' obligations of beneficence, there's a topic about animal rights. The third topic we won't talk about, because that one sucked for reasons unrelated to, to the fact that it was an individual <laughs> agent. <laughs> um, uh, that was a domestic <laughs> violence topic for context. Um, yeah, that, that, that one, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that one aside. <laughs> but point being is there's nothing in principle bad about discussing like what individuals should do instead of what governments should do. And I think this basket thing that we're discussing where you, know, you put them all in a particular context might have the ability to revive that. I wouldn't mind seeing a basket of topics where it's things people should do or things you know, corporations have obligations to do. 
Um, I don't mind those discussions. I think they're pretty interesting. You know, corporate obligations, I think, are a, a place we haven't talked about since like what, 2007. And the basket area might have the ability to make that an area without it potentially becoming the entire topic slate, which I'm, I imagine is part of the This, concern. Jacob, the last thing you said triggered um, what I think my favorite underutilized area for new topics might be, which is sort of corporate governance slash labor issues, whether it's unionization mm -hmm. or, you know, my, my favorite topic that I'm going to be submitting this year, which has to do with co-determination, which is a model of corporate govern governance that's used in some places in Europe where workers have a specified amount of say sort of over how corporations govern. So like in Germany, 40% of the board of a corporation needs to be elected by workers, for example, not management. Okay, so I have one more strong thought about this, which is just given the rise of technology in the last couple of years, it's worrying that there's not a single topic that is at all about technology since I think the right to be forgotten topic. And that not even the most interesting part about technology in my mind. Like there's just so much in terms of the power of technology that is not discussed here. Um, I mean, like digital ethics is like its own subfield. Agreed. So I can tell you some backstory here. So we've tried to do this a number of times over the last few years. And basically every time we discover that no, how, no matter how we word it, when we consult people, and we do consult people who have some subject area expertise, they always think that like, it's not quite the right wording. It's not quite precise enough because it's just really hard to get at the nuances here in a way that creates a, a debate that makes sense, both in terms of the literature that exists and also in terms of how debates play out in debate. Um, so we came really close, for example, to doing a topic about um, sort of ownership over um, digital content, right? So there's a lot of discussion about whether uh, individuals ought to have some sort of control or ownership stake in the content that they produce on social media platforms and otherwise, you know, the digital stuff they're putting out into the world. And it's just really hard to get at that concept in a way that makes sense and matches the literature. And it's also like on its face, easy to understand for people who will be voting. Yeah, an example I think that we so all So if there are any suggestions on that front, like please submit them, yeah. So an example I think that sort of bolsters that, and I think we all experienced this, was the, um, the human enhancement technology topic. This is sort of the reverse of how my opinion evolved to the juvenile justice topic, which is human enhancement technologies sounded like it was gonna be a super cool topic to me. Um, for those who don't know, the, the topic was, it was like, the non-therapeutic use of human enhancement technologies is immoral. Um, so theoretically, the topic seemed to be getting it, like future developments where like, people augment themselves. And then the moment you start researching the, the topic, you realize that there is just like literally no non-arbitrary way to draw that line in a way that makes it productively controversial. Because obviously we already enhance ourselves in all sorts of artificial ways. Stuff as simple as like drinking coffee or having cochlear implants right, are examples of people modifying their body in ways that doesn't actually function. And those are just like obviously fine. And so then you ask like, well, what counts as human enhancement if that doesn't? And you discover there's not really a line that you could draw where the arguments for and against it are both equally uh, divided. And so I thought human enhancement technology sort of suffered the problem Chris was describing, which is, it sounds like a really cool body of literature to research, but then you try to turn it into a debate topic where there's a good disagreement and a clear enough line to draw a ground and it, I think, kind of failed. I'm glad it ended up not being chosen. You get into a situation where you need to, you get into a situation with those topics where you have to add so many qualifiers to the topic that it becomes sort of mangled monstrosity, right? You have to say like, 
human enhancement technologies that like enhance abilities beyond the typical, like you'd have to get into very uh, specific explanation um, in a way that's not really possible when running a topic or very difficult. So one thing that this reminds me of that I think we probably could have discussed when we we're discussing how to submit a good topic is I think students undervalue uh, the perception and reality of concise parsimonious topics being good, right? The committee I think is likely to want a simple topic, right? You know, like we've had a few four word topics. Military conscription is unjust was a topic back in the day. Police uh, or predictive policing is unjust was a topic just recently. Um, and those topics just seem to be liked by virtue of being very simple. And so, while in theory, I would love a topic that just spends 100 words spelling out exactly what the affirmative negative ground is. I think, you know, for a community like college policy, where they're all experienced debaters, that's the ideal version of a topic. I think people have to realize that, and this is not just a bias of the topic community, right? These topics have to be given to some parent who's never judged a debate before, who walks into a high school one weekend and is told the topic and judges it. And a very long convoluted series of, you know, wording mechanisms and clauses to guarantee good ground doesn't make the most you know, easily parsable topic that you can just like tell someone and tell them this is what debate is. And so there is value in having a simple, short wording that gives right to the point. And so I would think that if you want to word a topic well, you probably have to strike a, a good middle ground between it, explaining what the ground is clearly, but keeping it as short as possible without building in all too many clauses. Yeah, I think that also goes to another point, which is terms of art, which the committee has a bias towards trying to find as much as possible very specific terms of art to point people in the right direction in terms of the literature. But there's a trade-off there sometimes between precision and clarity at what exactly it is that we're getting at. I think, for example, the employer of last resort topic had this to a certain degree where the meaning in the literature is very clear. But if you just read the topic, maybe you don't quite understand what it's getting at. Carbon pressing probably, I think, suffered the same fate. So topics where you can find a term of art that has a very specific meaning in the literature but that is also obvious on its face to someone reading the topic for the first time, I think is ideal. All right, that seems like a good place to wrap up. Lots of good suggestions on writing a good topic, things to not do when submitting a topic, and you know, lots of good topic areas that I think are worth bringing back. Actually, uh, Tice shared us on the, some of the suggestions submitted last year, and some of these are pretty good, and they actually do follow the suggestions that we've listed here, but then you like look towards the some of the like other topics and they're just very obviously never gonna get past the first wave of checks because they're literally copy and pasting the policy resolution or just like taking an old policy topic and making it the LD topic. Or they're just so one-sided that they're just like not interesting. I feel like if you keep the advice that we've just given you in mind, it will make it much more likely that you'll get the topic that you want. Maybe not in a form exactly that you want, but at least the topic area that you want. All right, when we come back, we'll do a conclusion segment. All right, that's our episode. Hope you all found it informative and interesting, and we hope that it provided some guidance in terms of submitting topics. And most importantly, we hope that you do submit topics. There's a relative dearth of submissions, and I think uh, we need some more quality ones in there. Um, and we're also really excited to hear from you all, uh, and we hope that in future episodes we can do a mailbag segment where we answer questions from you. So please submit your episode suggestions, questions, or feedback with us at the form that's linked below in the show notes. Thanks again to Victory Briefs for sponsoring this episode. 
Um, so in the past, we've done media recommendations. So things like podcasts, books, TV shows, etc. This week, I figured we might as well share what we've been doing to occupy our time in terms of games. Um, so things that we've been doing to like, you know, avoid the crushing boredom that is around us. I've rediscovered Minecraft recently, so I haven't played in a couple of years. But when uh, one of your fellow squads coaches, uh, Jacob Pacey, uh, when she decided to uh, propose putting together a Minecraft server, I was like, oh, I've not played in a while. Maybe I'll get back into this. And I think I've invested like six and a half days worth of gameplay into this in like the last couple of weeks. And the worst part about this, I think, was that we started up this Minecraft server like the day before the TOC started. So I was staying up really late during the TOC, not necessarily to prep, but just to play Minecraft, which was horrible for my you know, just general health during that tournament. Because I was like up very early to do prep and then like staying up really late to play Minecraft for absolutely no reason. I've become thoroughly addicted to this game again. And I, I hear you've never played it, Jacob, but I do recommend it. It's like great. There's like so much stuff that you can do. The game is literally infinite. Um, give it a try. Yeah, you are correct. There's just a big gap in my knowledge where I guess Minecraft should be. I'm aware that it's incredibly popular and yet know very little about it. Um, for me, uh, I'll say that the, the last few months since this quarantine things have been going on, I've gotten into the back end of the card game Dominion, um, which if you don't know is a, a deck building game. You just, you, there's a set of cards, you try to buy them one turn at a time and improve your deck over time. Real fun game. But there's an online implementation. And actually, apparently, some, some writer at Vox, I guess, found the online implementation, thought it was really cool, and decided to write an entire Vox article just about how cool this game was. It's like, go check out this Dominion website. It's sick. And so you can play online. And I've been um, playing a fair bit of Dominion online. There's a ladder, and you can rank up competitively. And there's a league you can join. I've been participating in the league, and I've enjoyed that pretty thoroughly. Um, would recommend Dominion's great. So like I said last time I gave a recommendation where I suggested, you know, I'm going I went back and played a bunch of old SNES games like Zelda Link to the Past, thought it was really good. Um I've been continuing down that road, sort of like moving through my childhood, and I rediscovered some N64 games, including my childhood favorite Goldeneye, which unlike my previous recommendations, doesn't hold up quite as well in the um replay department. Controls are kind of all over the place. The graphics aren't great even for the time, but I'm just having like a really great time reliving the nostalgia. I, f I feel like people might have expected us to be like really into uh, indie games. Martin Siglo mm. tried to get me to do that for a while. I played like Underworld, is it Undertale or Underworld? I can't remember what it is. See, the fact that I don't even Undertale? know. I think it's Undertale. It's the game with Flower, Flow, Flowey the Flower. And I played some of it. I thought it was good, but it just wasn't as like addicting as I thought it would be which is weird. I, I feel like I'd be exactly the type of person that indie games were for. And you, especially Jacob, I feel like you would, you would like indie games and like weird strategy games, but. Strategy games, certainly. I don't, I don't know if I have an opinion on indie games. I haven't thought about a, that. A great game for taking up time in quarantine that I think we're going to be starting maybe to do amongst the, some Victory Briefs folks is Diplomacy, which Ooh, is yeah. the classic strategy board game of all time. You can play it over the course of days putting like a few minutes each day into it really stretch it out and it's just it's the perfect game i'm excited for when that starts up i am very enthusiastic all right that's our episode hope to see you next time <laughs>